Our scripture reading today is from Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles, but it's also printed in your worship guide on page 11. If you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Before we read, I would remind you that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Romans chapter 4. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares this faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Leslie. Kids, I have an important song for you today. I want you to listen for it, although I don't think I'll sing it. But I will mention it, so when it comes, you'll be ready. It'll come soon. Uh, But this past week, I read uh, the following quote from another pastor, a theology professor, and he wrote this. Nothing can weaken you so much, nothing can make you so unhappy and fearful as distrusting God. Nothing can weaken you so much, nothing can make you so unhappy and fearful as distrusting God. Now, none of us as God's children want to be weakened. We don't want to be unhappy. We don't want to be fearful. And yet, isn't that how we often feel when we face suffering, affliction, difficult circumstances? This has always been a challenge for God's people. In Genesis 17, verse 8, God made this promise to Abraham. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And if you fast forward to Numbers chapter 13, the child of promise has been born to Abraham and Sarah. God's people have multiplied in number. God has delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. They have wandered in the wilderness on their way to Canaan, the promised land. And now the Lord tells Moses... Send men to spy out the land, the land that God promised to give them. 
And this is where that children's song comes in. I don't know if kids are still learning this today. I learned this as a child. Twelve men went to spy out Canaan. Ten were bad. Two were good. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I see some older people shaking their heads. Yeah, I see Josiah. All right, good. So maybe they're still learning this. Ten men, twelve men went to spy out Canaan. Ten were bad. Two were good. What do you think they saw in Canaan? Ten were bad. Two were good. Some saw giants, big and tall. Some saw grapes and clusters fall. Some saw God was in it all. Ten were bad and two were good. Well, ten, the majority, they came back and they were weakened. They were fearful. They were unhappy. They did not trust God. They were afraid that they would be killed. And so they began to spread the word. Let's go back to Egypt. What they thought about, what they believed, made a difference in their lives. It led them to grumble against God. They did not want to follow God. They wanted to go their own way, to disobey. And in Numbers 14, the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? Beloved, that's not how any of us want to respond to our faithful God. We do not want to despise him or his word. We love him. We want to trust and obey him. But ten were bad. Two were good. Do you know the two? You remember their names? Joshua and Caleb. That's right. Joshua and Caleb. And what did they say? They said this to the people. Do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. What made the difference between the ten and the two? The two, Joshua and Caleb, they did not despise the Lord. They trusted the Lord. So even though the people of Canaan were bigger and stronger than they were, God, their God, was the strongest of all. Some saw God was in it all. Beloved, my prayer for us is that we, the people of God in this local church, that we will learn to see our great, mighty, loving God in every detail of our lives. That we will grow strong in our faith and give glory to God. That we will be comforted in the midst of any and all of our afflictions and that the promise of God will indeed give us life. Here's a sermon and a sentence this week. You will, beloved, you will. You will grow strong in your faith and you will give glory to God when you are fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised. You will grow strong in your faith. You will give glory to God when you are fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised. Now, in order to do that, to to grow strong in your faith and to give glory to God, you must know what God has promised. You must know what he has promised and you must be fully convinced that he is able to do what he has promised. You must trust him. Romans 4 shows us this in the life of Abraham. 
And we see it most clearly in the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. To grow strong in your faith and give glory to God, you must know what God has promised. And you also must know that this promise is for you. Look at verse 13 again. It begins, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring. So the promise is for Abraham and for his offspring, for his descendants. Does that mean that this promise is only for the physical descendants of Abraham, his biological offspring, the Jewish people? No. We've seen that. Romans 4 has shown us that Abraham is the father of all who believe, all who trust in Jesus. Paul says it clearly in Galatians 3. Know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. At the end of chapter 3, he says this. There's neither Jew nor Greek, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So, beloved, today, this promise that we're looking at that's given to Abraham, it's for you if you also believe in Jesus. You are counted among the children of Abraham. There's another children's song about that. I'm not going to sing that one either, but there's a lot of good motions that go with it. So this promise is for you if you believe in Jesus. What is the promise? It's incredible. It is amazing. It's staggering. It is far greater than you realize. Sometimes we sum it up by saying you have an incredibly bright future. And that is the biggest understatement ever made. It is amazing. Verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. Heir of the world. Now, this promise was given to Abraham and his children in the Old Testament. And that exact phrase, heir of the world, is not used. But it's taken from the promises that are repeated throughout the book of Genesis. So first, in Genesis 17, 8, God says to Abraham, I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. Now that promise, it did include for Abraham at that time, the literal land of Canaan for him and his descendants. But it was more than that. God says Abraham himself will get the land as an everlasting possession. So beloved, this is in the Old Testament, in the very first book of the Bible, a promise of resurrection. Abraham would rise from the dead and enjoy his inheritance forever. This is God's eternal kingdom. This is heaven. Second, in Genesis 22, verse 17, God promises Abraham, your offspring shall possess the gates of your enemies. This means that in the future, there are no enemies that will triumph over the descendants of Abraham, over the people of God. All of our enemies will be defeated, subdued, gone, no more. And then third, back to Genesis 17, verse 7, the most precious promise of all this everlasting covenant, the Lord says, I will be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will be God to you. Now, what what does that mean? It means, again, that Abraham could not be defeated by death. It means that our physical death is not the end. In Matthew chapter 2, Matthew 22, Jesus referenced these Old Testament words where God said, I am the God of Abraham. And Jesus commented on that, and he said, 
He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. The promise that God would be Abraham's God means that God will be his God forever and ever and ever. World without end. And this is a promise to you if you believe in Jesus today. He said it's an everlasting covenant. That means forever. It does not end. And Jesus said, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, our fathers of the faith. What did he say? He said they are living. They are alive. This means that Abraham would rise from the dead. So it was inconceivable to Jesus. It's beyond the realm of possibility in his mind. It's inconceivable to Paul that God's people would ever be defeated by death. This is why Paul would say with confidence, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. To die is actually gain. So beloved, when God promises to be your God, this is a promise without end. He will always be your God. And physical death does not end that relationship. There's more to life than what we can see, than what we can feel. And we know that Jesus is the true heir, the true seed, offspring of Abraham. It is in Jesus that all of these promises from our great God are fulfilled. We are fellow heirs. We are co-heirs with Christ only if we are united to him by faith. So beloved, if you want to enjoy these precious promises, you must trust in Jesus. And if you do trust in Jesus, beloved, you are an heir of the world. You and all of God's people, you will inherit the land. God's eternal kingdom. You and all of God's people, you will rise from the dead. Death cannot defeat you. You will be with God forever. And you and all God's people will be triumphant over all your foes, all sin and suffering. You're an heir of the world. You will inherit all that belongs to Jesus. I should have heard a lot of amens by now. This promise is staggering. It's amazing. We don't grasp the reality of this promise. All that belongs to Jesus will be yours. This is the world made right. It's a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. God's restored, renewed Eden. It is perfect peace and shalom. A world free from evil. No wickedness or injustice there. A world free from sin. No suffering, no sorrow, no sickness, no death. John Newton wrote the amazing hymn, Amazing Grace. We, are, we, we know him for that. And about two, he was also a pastor later in his life. And, and later in his life, it was over 200 years ago, he, tells this, he uses this illustration. He talks about a man riding in a horse-drawn carriage on his way to New York to inherit a million dollars. So if we brought it to present day, you'd think you're on your way to inherit multiple millions of dollars, more money than you could ever imagine. And as he's on his way to New York, he's about a mile away from his destination and a wheel on his carriage breaks. And so he has to get out and he has to walk that last mile. And on that way, that last mile to inherit millions of dollars, all this man is saying is, my carriage is broken, my carriage is broken. And what would you think of such a man? 
And Newton says, that's what we are. That's what we are. That is us on our last mile, on our way to inherit the world, the kingdom of God, everlasting life, God himself. And what do we so often do? We grumble. We do not trust God. And so we are weakened, and we are fearful, and we are unhappy. All that we can see is what is before our eyes, the hardships and the sufferings of life, the giants in the land. And we lose sight of the promise of God. And we lose sight of the God who made the promise. Beloved, to grow strong in your faith, to give glory to God, I would urge us all today to to take our eyes off our broken carriage and fix them on our risen and reigning Savior, Jesus Christ, on the promise of God, on the inheritance and the hope that he gives you. Well, also to grow strong in your faith and to give glory to God, you must be fully convinced that our God is able to do what he has promised. You must trust him. Romans 4 shows us this in the life of Abraham. We see it most clearly in the life of Jesus. But let's look at Abraham first. So verse 18 says, In hope... He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed as he had been told. Who told him? God. Abraham believed the word of God. He trusted that what God said to him was true. He believed that God would do what he said he would do. And God did. Beloved, this is what Christians do. We believe God. We trust the word of God above everyone and everything else. We know Numbers twenty three nineteen is true. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? So Abraham believed the word of God. Verse 19 He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So Abraham, he did not ignore reality. He didn't ignore his circumstances, his limitations, his weaknesses. Paul is not saying that our belief in God or that our faith means closing our eyes to reality. Abraham's eyes were wide open to his reality. It says he considered, he thought about, he knew his own body was as good as dead. He was almost 100 years old. He knew he was past the point of being able to have children, humanly speaking. He knew that his wife, Sarah, was barren, unable to have children. So he didn't ignore this. In fact, he looked his inability his difficult circumstances, straight in the eye. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't try to explain it away, to excuse it, to make it appear better than it was. It was a dire situation. The scriptures say, against hope, he believed. So his circumstances were a temptation for him to be weak in his faith. Think about maybe a scale, or, or maybe you like to make pros and cons lists. 
So on one side, Abraham is putting all of the reasons that God's promise cannot be true on that scale. I'm a hundred years old. That is pretty heavy. That is weighing me down. Not only that, but my wife, Sarah, is well, she's pretty old too. Not as old as me, but pretty old, past the point of being able to have children. And beyond that, she never was able to have children. That is weighing down very heavy. I, I can't lift that. You look at that situation, and the conclusion you draw is this. It's impossible for us to have children. That's the reality of that situation. But that is not all that Abraham considered. That's not all that he thought about. Verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. It may have seemed, it may have felt like an impossible obstacle. But on the other hand, when he listed out or or he weighed out the promise of God, the word of Almighty God, what was that in comparison? The, The word of Almighty God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Then that heavy weight, that burden became nothing. Is anything, this is what the Lord said to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? Beloved, God does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can say to him, what have you done? None can stay his hand. When everything, this is the way one pastor uh, summarizes this verse. He says, when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he could not do, but on what God said he would do. What a wonderful way to live. Not on the basis of what we cannot do, but on the basis of what God said he would do. Abraham saw the reality of his situation and he reasoned, he believed God is going to do something great, something amazing to magnify and to glorify his name. He was fully convinced God was able to do what he promised. And beloved, Abraham was not put to shame. He saw the promise. Abraham's not the only one who looked to the promise of God. This is what all God's children do. God, by his grace, enables us to do this because this is what Jesus has done. And it is his record, his righteousness, that is for those who trust in him. And he also is our example. And he gives us his spirit to enable us to walk by faith today. You know that wonderful passage in Hebrews chapter 12. In God's providence, Justin prayed through it in our opening prayer of adoration this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this, this vast amount of witnesses, and what can they do? They can testify to the faithfulness of God. They testify to the reality of God's promise. His word is true. His inheritance is real and worth it. Jesus is worthy. 
So therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, doing what? Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So what did Jesus do? He endured the cross, the pain and the shame and the agony of the crucifixion. The wrath of God poured out on him, willingly laying down his life in our place, taking the punishment for our sin. Jesus did not close his eyes to the reality of the situation. He didn't sugarcoat hard circumstances. He knew the pain of what he was about to face. But how did Jesus do this? How was he able to obey, to believe God? What does Hebrews 12 say? Who, for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? It was, it included the promise of God, the word of God. Jesus believed God. He trusted his heavenly father. His obedience would please the father. He knew that in obeying the father, God the father would be pleased. The joy set before him included his belief that he would be raised from the dead. His death and resurrection would accomplish our salvation. He would bring many sons and daughters to glory, including you who trust in Jesus today. He would be exalted at God's right hand in the assembly of the redeemed. He believed part of the joy that was set before him was that he would inherit the world, the living, not the dead, and he would inherit the nations, the multi-ethnic people of God, saving his people from their sins, from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. This was the promise of God, the joy that was set before him. Beloved, Jesus, your Savior, was fully convinced that what God the Father has promised, he was able to do. And because he was, beloved, your salvation is guaranteed. Just as clearly as you can see me preaching today, just as clearly as you can hear me preaching today, you who trust in Jesus, you will hear, you will see Jesus one day. With your very own eyes, you will behold him and you will be made like him. This is part of that promise. You will join your savior Jesus and his eternal kingdom as a fellow heir of the world. Amen? Amen. Are you fully convinced, beloved? This promise is amazing. It is the greatest inheritance ever, and it's yours who are in Christ. This promise is meant to change your life. You're meant to think about it. It matters what you think about, what you believe. It, it changes what you do. You're meant to meditate on it and to proclaim it and to believe it. You have an adversary who does not want you to think about it. Satan doesn't want you to think about it because he knows if you do. If you look to Jesus, if you put on that shield of faith, 
he knows that you will extinguish all his flaming darts. He'll, he knows it will make you grow strong in your faith and God Almighty will be glorified in your life. So what is he doing? Perhaps this very moment, or perhaps you felt it heavy this week, he tempts you to despair. He will tempt you to despair. He will tell you of your sin within. And not only that, but he will put your suffering before your eyes. And when that happens, beloved, instead of letting that lead to shame or to destruction or to being weakened in your faith, use his very arrows against him and let it drive you to your Savior, Jesus Christ. Let it feed your faith. You don't have to ignore your sin. We're not telling you to ignore your suffering. We're saying be honest about it. Look it straight in the eye. It's hard. It hurts. It's wrong. But let it drive you to Jesus. This is the intent of the Holy Spirit. And beloved, remember, your sin and your suffering are temporary. They have an expiration date, a time limit. They won't have the final say. They cannot. It's impossible for sin and suffering to be victorious over the children of God. They will not destroy you. They cannot nullify the promise of God. So the song says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, what do I do? What's the response? Upward I look and see him there who? Jesus, my Savior, who made an end of all my sin. He made an end of our sin, beloved, and he will make an end of all our suffering. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Beloved, God has done as he promised in sending his son and raising him from the dead and exalting him to his right hand. God is doing as he promised every day. Every day, he is adding people to the descendants of Abraham. He is bringing people out of darkness into his marvelous light. Every day, he's keeping his promise. Beloved, it's already done. His word is sure. Are you fully convinced God is able to do what he has promised? May we all grow grow strong in our God-given faith, and may we give glory to God. And beloved, we will for all eternity. Amen. Amen. Amen.